What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and we have a very exciting episode for you today as we get into Big East play. Finally, this week, Wednesday night, we'll be recording a game recap immediately following the game on Wednesday that'll drop Thursday morning, so that's super exciting as well. But really, our last chance, Pat, after our non-conference recap episode with Tommy last week to preview the conference, recap St. Joe's over the weekend. Super, super excited to get into it. We are we are here for Big East play now as we get ready for Wednesday, but oof, did they uh, they send us into it with uh, not the best uh, not, or not the cleanest performance on Saturday in, a, in what was another rivalry game, but hey, they, they got it done yet again, keeping that momentum going and winning four in a row. I will... From now on, be keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> be careful. Certain, I told you, be careful. Certain wins that I think may or may not be easy. Uh, and also, no team, any team that I root for across any sports has made me believe in the phrase, a win is a win, more than this year's Villanova Wildcats. Are you saying that after you watched the Patriots lose in that fashion this weekend? Could you believe that? I'm sorry. Oh I, I had to take a, a slight shot there. But I, I actually, I, 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 digress. I had Raiders minus two and a half, so I was okay. Oh, with so it. there you go. All right. <laughs> but wow, what an unbelievable play. What an unbelievable sports weekend. Really was. Uh, so full transparency, I actually did not get to watch any of the Nova St. Joe's game because I was at the CBS sports classic at MSG for UNC Ohio state and Kentucky UCLA. Both of those games were phenomenal. UNC hit a buzzer beater to force overtime and they won. They had a great comeback against Oscar Shibwe and the Wildcats. And the second game was great as well. So, so much good stuff going on. I thought this would actually be a good game to miss Pat. I really Hmm. felt like nothing crazy would happen and unfortunately, I was wrong when I looked at the halftime score and I saw that Villanova was, it was way too close to be comfortable. They were down three at half. So definitely not something I was expecting or hoping for. Yeah, I mean, there's never a good game to miss a Nova Nation, especially with this team, uh, with, with how right. things can, can go up and down here. But I'm sure the CBS Classic was fantastic uh, this weekend and what was a great weekend of college hoops. I mean, coming out of it, Villanova gets to three and one uh, here in the big five with, um, but I feel like of those big five games, LaSalle's the only game you really felt good with. And that was the first game of the season. They do come away with a share of the big five title as well with Temple as Temple did drop a game uh, to Penn to give them one loss as well. So Nova again, comes away with at least a share of the big five, but as we saw here and, you know, we, we talk about it with Tommy, there's not a ton of juice that goes into the, or that has been going into these big five games. However, you know, in, in most cases, they've been pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. And this certainly was, uh, like you said, the first half was was pretty ugly. St. Joe's went in uh, with the lead there on the Eric Reynolds fadeaway three uh, as time expired. And I have to say, even before we go into any Villanova players, Eric Reynolds was incredibly impressive for the Hawks out there in 38 minutes as well. And he was just quite simply the go-to guy. I was incredibly impressed with his ability to get to the hoop. He had some pretty sick finishes uh, around the rim uh, as well. Of course, was killer from deep. Um, you know, we've seen it in the big five with some of these games. You think of uh, a Jordan Dingle. Now you've got an Eric Reynolds in there. There most certainly is talent uh, around here. And, and I think it goes into why 
I feel so firmly that I want to see this series turn into more of a series and have more fanfare of it because the talented players around Philadelphia most certainly deserve that. That's a really good point, actually. There's been one star on every big five team or or two stars in, in some cases of Temple I'm thinking of specifically. But it's funny because in a similar vein, you would think that this year, because Villanova is in a quote unquote down year, the competition has been better and Villanova's dropping games and it's not uh, any gimmies like it has been in the last few years. But that's actually that's actually made me wish for the tournament more because it shouldn't come down to Villanova struggling makes this big five series better. <laughs> it should just be better regardless of how talented all these teams are. We know that that's the reason why changes need to be made because Villanova has been head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. But I don't know. There's just something rubs me the wrong way of, oh, let's let's take advantage of Villanova's weaknesses this year to to instill good play. There should just be changes made so that it's more fun, more fanfare, more talk, more buzz in every year. And we can that's something we can look forward to. And to Nova's credit, they still wrote it out. You know, they they yeah. still went three and one here. That the Temple game was rough, uh, as we almost certainly remember, but they found a way to to pull out the other three and then really switching. Uh, the focus onto this game specifically here for taking positives from it. I think Villanova showed you they can win in a different way and a little bit of a different formula than what we had seen previously this far this season. And what do I mean by that is that um, Caleb Daniels has been really, really solid for this Wildcats team thus far this season. He's really been a guy that they've leaned on. Uh, we know how, how dangerous he can be scoring wise. He's fifth in the big East in scoring at just about 16 points per game. Cam Whitmore comes in. Whitmore has been a complete game changer. We don't need to reiterate everything we've discussed with him, but we know how he really revolutionizes what this team can do and kind of the ceiling that comes with it. They both struggled mightily on Saturday. They combined for 14 points. They never got into a rhythm. Whitmore was poor, in in all honesty. It was not a good game from him. He he put up some rough shots. He turned the ball over. He, He didn't look comfortable out there. Uh, again, he's a freshman going through that. But what happened on Saturday? Well, Brandon Slater stepped up, and Brandon Slater was phenomenal uh, for Villanova. Five three-pointers made, was hot early as well from beyond the arc. Always plays really strong uh, defense in it. I was super impressed with Slater, and that's the Slater we've called for in a, in a lot of this season, saying we want to see Brandon Slater really grow into the game. We want to see him impact it. We know he can do it. We saw him do it a year ago, uh, earlier in the year before that ankle, and here he was. And, and this is why I think the flashes of Slater and why it can be so frustrating when, when he doesn't put his hands all over a game because we know he has the talent to do so. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of Jermaine Samuels. <laughs> I mean, how many times did we have this conversation last year and the year before that? We saw glimpses of what he can do offensively to take over a game like you said and then because of that untapped potential it actually makes you angry when he doesn't do it every game (laughs) Slater has slowly but surely turned into the guy who's doing all the dirty work that doesn't show up in the box score and it's really nice when he's able to have an offensive game like this one where he can get his flowers a little bit and that's exactly what you did I think your characterization of Daniels and Whitmore's struggles is perfect. I mean, Armstrong was 0 for 4. Longino was 2 for 7. So the offensive depth that this team has showed dwindled. Hmm. And you saw Slater, Dixon, and Chris Archie Diacono step up a career high 14 points. I'm going to throw it back to you because we have been, we've both been waiting 
for I think people to catch up with us on the Chris Arch love as opposed to all the criticism he's been receiving and it finally felt like it was rained down upon him in this game yeah I'll, I'll give you two ways on that first you know we, we talked about Boston College and one of my points was that Villanova won that game because of the freshman you know the freshman scored over 50 percent of the points for the Cats in that game this was the complete opposite where the old heads really reigned through it and pulled Villanova through with that experience here the freshman and Whitmore Housen and Armstrong combined for 10 points total while you had Dixon Slater and Archdiakita go for 19 16 and 14 respectively between them there which was really really important important for Archie Diakono. I appreciate the credit that you give, but I will also give myself where I have most certainly criticized him throughout the season, especially early in the season where I don't think he was adding too much to the team, but it really feels like since around that Oregon game, when things started to turn around, we've seen Chris really improve his play as well. And I have been incredibly impressed with what I've seen recently. And that really culminated on Saturday with the best performance of his college career, hands down. Uh, As you said, it was a career high for him in 14 points that eclipsed his previous career high of nine, which was actually set earlier this year. Uh, He was able to, it's not a ton of field goal attempts. It never is with Chris. He only took four. He made three of those threes, but It goes so much more so than that. He did not turn the ball over. I thought he was very, very strong in dribbling the basketball, especially going into the lane and being able to kick out and find guys, whether it was around the three-point line or cutters. He did the classic Villanova guard back downs a lot, which is very exciting and I think brings a lot of us back to what we've really seen of the glory of when this offense hits at all cylinders. And most importantly, he hit some big shots, especially an incredibly important three with around a minute left to really put things away for Villanova here. And as I said, I Chris has gotten criticism this year. He's deserved criticism this mm-hmm. year. But what we've seen lately, and especially what we saw on Saturday, I think goes into the value in which the staff does see in him. Yeah, and it's just momentum building every single time. It feels like he picks a game to work on something better. We haven't talked about his defensive liability in a while. We're all of a sudden seeing him back down guards in the post, which is something we've talked about wanting to see more from, from this team because so many players on this team are so physical. He never takes a lot of shots, but he's finally making them at a more consistent rate. All that stuff culminating in a really, really strong performance. I don't want to jump the gun a little bit because I want to give this game its due for sure. Another thing I was wrong about though on Thursday's episode was my insistence that Kane Whitmore would start against St. Joe's. I told you, I told you. You called it again. He came off the bench. He played 19 minutes, which is also, I believe, his lowest since the minutes restriction was fully lifted. Maybe actually his lowest on the entire season. Correct, because I, I believe I, he played 20 yeah, against Oklahoma. I was just going to say, I think he played 20 as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a sign. It's a, an encouraging sign for the depth. Again, like you said, Villanova can win in different ways. They also don't have to rely on Whitmore when other players are going well. My question now is, turnovers, you say that there's an improvement in Chris Arch's dribbling ability, not turning the ball over, not making mistakes, not giving the other team opportunities. How do you not start Chris Archie Diacono against a team that literally embodies all of the things I just said in St. John's? Oh, so I'm... I- Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more Chris Arch against St. John's, especially after this performance. I am 100% positive that Chris Archdiakono will be starting on Wednesday night uh, at the Finneran Pavilion. You can ask questions for does Mark Armstrong and Cam Whitmore flip-flop. Armstrong Mm. had a very rough game uh, on Saturday. Again, really just wasn't able to, to 
impact the game in ways that we've seen him. He wasn't able to run. He wasn't able to show off that athleticism. So it was a bit of a struggle. Again, it's a freshman. It's in his first two months here, six weeks, really, uh, of, of collegiate ball. So these things are going to happen. You mentioned Cam Whitmore there with the 19 minutes. I don't think you have to look anything further than it was 19 minutes based on merit, which is why you saw the minutes go down. It was not a great 19 minutes from him. Now there are times where the athleticism and the ridiculous talent still flashes from him. I had a jump stop layup in the lane. He used his body underneath for, for a big end one had another probably end one uh, called off because a shot clock violation uh, went off. So you still saw that he's got the absurd talent and physical abilities to really take over a game. But, as we said, there was no rhythm. Uh, he had some tough turnovers, especially while, to his credit, what he does is he tries to do things a little differently for Villanova. You know, he does push that pace. He does run in tempo. He does try to get out in transition. But in those situations, sometimes the decision-making just isn't all the way there. And that led to some tough turnovers against St. Joe's. And it leads to the question of, well, they're going to go up against a team that thrives off of trying to force these turnovers. So I... I, I'm curious to see what the St. John's defensive game plan is going to be, knowing that Whitmore has shown that he can be susceptible to turning the ball over at times. But well, we know he's going to turn it over at times. We also know he has the ability to absolutely take over a game. Right. And you have the other veteran leadership to hopefully shadow that, which is what exactly what happens against St. Joe's. I, also, 4-0 in the Cam Whitmore era, I think everybody, and that means nationally, is talking about Villanova's revival in tune with Cam Whitmore's arrival. Mm -hmm. And while that has been largely true, he's also allowed to make mistakes because he's played four collegiate games and he is still a freshman. So uh, he has had the absolute world on his shoulders in these last four games. And I think it was only, it, it was only inevitable that one of these games was going to happen. And you hope that it's a huge stepping stone going into again a St. John's team that is going to be a completely different look than anything Whitmore has seen this season Oklahoma was a really really good opponent but I think St. John's is just a different monster that all of these guys are going to feel a little bit of a a culture shock when they face on Wednesday night certainly and while I talk about you know Whitmore struggling a little bit I, I do want to also give him his, his props and sort of the trust that he's earning with this coaching staff because late in the game while things were very much still in doubt Caleb Daniels was not in the game and instead Cam Whitmore and Jordan Longino were now I think it's interesting to start to look at it because Caleb did have four fouls at that point and it seems very reminiscent of when Brandon Slater uh, wasn't playing with four fouls down the stretch against Michigan State so it, it, again as we develop see Kyle Neptune and, and try to figure out the tendencies that he develops it seems like he's certainly a little reluctant to put those guys in once they have four fouls even in situations where you would normally expect to be in where it was late and Caleb being a trusted player there. But I think that is really interesting that, uh, that Cam Whitmore and Jordan Longino kind of drew those assignments. And again, I think it goes to the, the trust that they are forming with the staff to be able to be out there in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And again, I wasn't watching it live, so I can't fully speak to that, but it makes it a little bit different when you talk about Slater versus Daniels, because Villanova relies on Daniels offensively. But I wonder if it, also is a little bit merit-based when it comes to Neptune's decision because Caleb was struggling against St. Joe's and Slater had a pretty bad game against Michigan State when he sat down the stretch. Mm -hmm. So 
Who knows if there's a little bit of that? Again, Caleb blurs that line a little bit because you have to put Caleb in from an offensive perspective in order for Villanova to go. But I, I just, every single game, I continue to give more and more props to Neptune for taking risks with this rotation. And I really do think it's going to pay off when a guy like Longino can play really critical minutes down the stretch of the games. You didn't see that last year at all. No, de- definitely. And for him too, I, offensively, he just can't get into that rhythm. I, yeah. You really wonder how much of the, the knee is affecting it, though. He had an incredibly clutch, basically a turnaround jumper um, to extend it to a, a six-point game with probably around two minutes left in that game. And then, you know, I, I think the play that a lot of Villanovans come away with of this game is Arch basically hitting the dagger three to, to put them up 66-57. But I want to go back further in that play where that doesn't happen unless Caleb Daniels, who was in the game at that point, grabs an offensive rebound over two St. Joe's players with four fouls, kicks it to Eric Dixon, who draws a double team, and then finds an open Chris Archdiakono who drills a three. That is fundamentally sound basketball, and that was Villanova basketball. And that was very, very important to see them close a game in that way. Oh, and it's rebounding and assisting, two things that they outdid St. Joe's. They out-rebounded and out-assisted St. Joe's potentially two of the most important keys against St. John's too. So, <laughs> You're going to hear rebounding a little bit against St. Yeah, John's. that that fundamental play is going to be so important again because St. John's thrives off of forcing mistakes. Villanova has been kind of down the middle. Sometimes they can show mostly in the second half that they're a really really strong fundamentally sound team. And in the first half they're usually making so many mistakes that they can't even keep up with themselves and they're digging themselves too deep of a hole to come back from at times. So I think that's a really good point. Really nice picture to paint, but it was strong in this game that they were able to out-rebound St. Joe's pretty handily in that regard. It's important, and a big part of that rebounding was Eric Dixon, who I thought played a a very solid game, but like a very quiet game uh, Mm -hmm. from Eric Dixon as well. I think Brandon Slater really stood out. Chris Archdiakono certainly did. Dixon put up what felt like an unbelievably quiet 16 and 12 which is a a very healthy uh stat line i thought again that footwork continues to be a real strength of his uh underneath the basket he picked up some key offensive rebounds he did a really nice job on the defensive side too with box outs as i said going with 12 boards there they even had him um you know collect the ball a couple times in the high post and do a drive off his left hand and go up for a layup so uh, trying to evolve how they just use Dixon rather than a straight post guy as well as a, a spot up three shooter so I'm for that and I, I'm interested how that evolution continues here because Eric Dixon is such a stud we know he's such a stud finding ways to get him involved is really important and as Villanova very clearly wants to live on the perimeter and I've got stats to, to back that up as we all know as well uh, being able to find ways to get Dixon involved and really have Dixon impact and control games down low I think is going to continue to be really key as they go into conference play yeah 38 three-point attempts was definitely not a number that I loved seeing when that box went final the Dixon point as well it also feels like he hasn't had a huge game in a while you would think that if Villanova were to beat St. John's, it wouldn't be possible for Dixon to have a quiet game. He has yeah. to show up. He's got quite the matchup too on Wednesday night. Exactly. And then the multidimensional point is also so important and something we've been talking about all season long. I hope that Slater's really, really good shooting performance on Saturday can also lend into that a little bit because the reason he scored so many points because was because he was five for eight from three. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But if he can morph 
that ability to shoot from beyond the arc, keep defenses on their toes and able to drive to the basket. I do feel like I have a broken record. I do acknowledge that point, but I just feel like you might as well capitalize when you just hit five three-pointers and you went six or nine with 19 points. You might as well the next time you're out against the St. John teams that I think Slater will, will have a mismatch against everybody but Soriano. Try and take advantage of that while you have the momentum going in your favor. Yeah, we'll see because St. John's is such an aggressive defensive team. I, I wonder if he draws a guy like David Jones who does have a, a, a ton of athleticism there. It's it's not an easy matchup for mm-hmm. sure, but I, I'd like him to be able to you know be an option out there on the perimeter to keep things a little more honest. You talk about shooting. I think a balance here. You know, you mentioned it. Thirty-eight threes attempted on Saturday. Villanova is now up to a point where fifty-one percent of their field goal attempts have come from three this year. That is fifth highest in the country overall and the highest percentage of any power conference team. Oh, wow. the, yeah, the closest major conference um, comparison there would be Penn State uh, sitting at 48% Jeez. of their shots coming from deep. So Nova most certainly raining it down. Things have gotten better from beyond the arc. They're up to, I think, around 34% now as a team. When when we were discussing this really in the crux of the argument a, a couple weeks ago, they were in like the... 29 30 31 range which is just not good enough for the amount of threes that they're taking it's at least starting to creep up in a more positive direction however where it does concern me was how things played out on saturday where as we know it was a main point last year and it continues to be a point this year villanova's real superpower is when they're at the free throw line. They just quite simply don't miss when they get there. They're shooting 82% this year. They set a college record shooting 83% as a team last year. They only had 10 free throw attempts through the entire game here. Their first one did not come until the second half. And that is part of why you saw things get were so close and were so uncomfortable was because where Villanova can really bury teams is when they get to the line 25 times and they make 23 of them. It's hard to overcome that when you then add in, you know, at least a competent three point shooting night and the, the other talent around there, but when they only get to the line 10 times, it only puts more of an emphasis on that shooting, which at times has evaded the catch this far this year. And why I point out those 10 free throw attempts as well. That was the lowest amount of free throw attempts they've taken this year. They are usually in the high teens or early 20s. And the only game where they were remotely close was LaSalle, where they only shot 11 free throw attempts. However, it doesn't really matter when you have 11 free throw attempts when you shoot 65% from three, <laughs> as I believe Villanova did in that game. So it's just something to look at where I, for this Nova team to be firing on all cylinders, I do think they have to be getting in the lane. I do think they have to be drawing fouls, and I do think they have to be getting to the free throw line. They didn't do that on Saturday, and I don't think it's a coincidence that this was a bit of a struggle at times because they didn't have those additional points. Yeah, that's all really good stuff. And you've seen Slater be that guy where when they need a bucket, he is willing to put his body on the line to draw a foul yeah. and then sink those those two shots. So this team's always been about adjustments all season long. And as they transition to Big East play, I think all of that is going to be put to the test when they take what the other team is giving them. Yes, it would be nice if they shot 60% from the floor every single time they went out there. Hmm. But we have seen that not be the case. And just like they're able to rebound when when Cam isn't playing well, they, they've got to be able to adapt and try and score in different ways. And, and St. John's is not going to let them shoot up threes. They're going to make them try and push the paint and beat them that way because they feel like they have the advantage. So it's going to be about how Villanova reacts to that. 
Uh, it, it most certainly is. And we look at that game or at the game that just happened on Saturday. It was all played from beyond the arc or mostly yeah. played from beyond the arc. I should say there were 120 field goal attempts in the game. 67 of them were from deep. For a team that's not built from beyond the three-point line, that's too much. Yeah, that's and that's both teams. Much. That's both teams yeah. uh, combined in there. But just shows you how many how many threes did go up. And I just have one more point here, and then we can we can go into St. John's for it. I do think that this it's something worth noting at least here for for Nova. We've talked about it this year, where there have been many instances where Villanova has fallen behind by a pretty decent margin. And, you know, fought back and made it close, maybe taken the lead and, and fallen short. You know, you think of Michigan State, you think of Iowa State and, and the times that they've made pushes here. This was different on Saturday for the first time or not the first time because uh, Oklahoma is very similar, but not totally. For the first time, really, this season, Villanova was asked to close a game because Oklahoma, they still chased it a little bit in that final minute before really, you know, taking the lead. And then there wasn't that much time for the Sooners to get back into it. Nova had to find a way to, to close this game out, and they did. We talk about it with the Chris Archidiacono made three. Jordan Longino hit the big shot. They hit their free throws down, down the stretch here. I think that's really important because things like that, it only really develops when you're experiencing it in the moment. And Villanova just hasn't had too many opportunities where, okay, you've got a five-point lead with a minute and a half left. Finish this thing out. And while it wasn't that exact scenario on Saturday – it was very similar to it. And I think that's an important experience as they go into what will be a hotly contested conference. Yeah. Make the big shot, defend, and don't turn the ball over. Don't, don't make turn the ball over. Mistakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of turnovers, Villanova debuts in the Big East play. They're the only team who has not played a Big East game yet so far. There's been some weird scheduling, like St. John's, for example, played DePaul games ago. Two weeks ago at the point that they're going to play Villanova. That's crazy. So very odd and not a ton of routine. I actually love the idea of all the teams in the conference playing in the course of two nights. I think that's just a cool way to start conference play. But anywho, St. John's is 11-1, and 1-0 in the conference coming off of that DePaul win. Their only loss is to Iowa State, which is, again, a good loss for both St. John's and Villanova. I mean, what a dominant start for this team. Their strength of schedule certainly isn't anything to (laughs) gloat over, but a radically different start and a radically different look, honestly, because I don't think it's lucky. I think this is a really talented team that a lot of people thought a pretty middling team in conference in, in the big East conference has showed up. Curbelo has turned out to be what the offense needed. Joel Soriano has turned out to be one of the best big men in the conference, and they're doing all the things that St. John's has always done well, which is playing at a really fast pace, forcing a lot of turnovers, making just just few enough mistakes to eke out some really tough wins. They're just doing that at a really, really high level that's turning a lot of teams on its toes. This is a different St. John's team. And this is the same St. John's. Yeah, yeah, from, exactly. From the past couple of years, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Um, when you look at it for first, the the difference here, offensively, they're a lot more balanced. Just a year ago, you know, 19 points per game came from Champagne, 13 from, from Posh. There's a pretty sizable drop off there. And we knew Champagne was the go-to guy. What uh, a loss. Johnny's. To yeah, even rebound loss. after losing him. Yeah, exactly. He was absolute stud one of the better players to come through the big east over the last couple of years and just a true scorer 
you fast forward now to this year and things are so much more balanced. David Jones, a transfer coming in from DePaul and Joel Soriano, both averaging 15 points a game to lead the Johnnies there. And then you have Dave or excuse me, Andre Corbello transfer coming in from Illinois at just over 11 points a game. And we know how many things he makes happen as well. So things Posh has been able to step back a little bit on offense, which I think is a good thing for the Johnnies because of course his bread and butter is defensively and how much of a nuisance he can be and just how solid he is out there. And what it does is it allows for Soriano to really try to take over games from the inside. And David Jones is that wing versatile player that was a pretty good player at DePaul. And now you're seeing what happens when you put him in a system that's a little more high flying and has a little bit more talent around him as well. He is thriving uh, over there in Queens. It's just a, a conflict of so many things that make them so dangerous. We've always known that you do not want to, like the Gillespie versus Posh Alexander matchups will always must watch TV for me because it's metal against metal, just two masters at their crafts. Alexander is still showing that type of stamina defensively, but just like you said, he's not being relied upon offensively. It's allowing him to go into the facilitator role where he has so many more options to go to now. It was Champagne or nothing last year for St. John's. And now there are so many different guys. Adewusu has gotten better because Soriano and Jones and Curbelo are all in that system now. What I'm really curious about, and we've seen this in almost every single game, and it's another reason why there were 120 or however many three-point attempts you just mentioned there were in the Villanova versus St. Joe's game. Only 22% of St. John's field goal attempts are three-pointers, which is... Oh, yeah. Very different than what Nova's been playing lately. One of the lowest in the country. So on the surface, you might think, oh, great. Villanova's weak three-point defense might not play too much of a factor in this game. But what we've seen from almost all of Villanova's opponents so far this season is that they try and shoot more threes to try and take advantage of that weakness. St. John scores a lot of points, over 80 points per game. I tend to lean towards thinking that's because of the the caliber of opponent defenses they're playing, which have not Mm -hmm. been that good. But they're not chucking up a lot of threes. They're able to do a lot down low, which is why Soriano and Jones are averaging so many points per game. So I'm curious if St. John's emulates a lot of the opponents Villanova has played so far and tries to put up more threes to take advantage of that weakness Villanova has, or if they think, screw it, we're going to stick to our guns and we know that we can beat Villanova down low. You have any thoughts on that? I do. I think that St. John's are going to stick to what St. John's does well. I'm not sure you're going to see them go into a three-point barrage here, and and why I say that is exactly what you said and that they are very comfortable being inside the paint. But there's a reason they're comfortable inside the paint, and it's because they don't hurt you all that well um, from from beyond the arc. They shoot 31% as a team from three. That is second worst in the Big East Conference. Only Seton Hall is a worse three-point shooting team than St. John's right now. They have, uh, you know, a ton of of versatility. I, I talked through David Jones. Curbelo can attack the attack the basket. We know Posh can do it. They can hurt you from beyond the arc. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, Montez Mathis can most certainly drill a three. Adewusu is a player I really like. I know they're trying to get AJ Store a little more involved. What's interesting enough is that their most frequent three-point shooter is their probably worst three-point shooter. And that David Jones, again, a really solid player, very versatile. Very athletic, a lot of ability to score in the lane. He shoots six threes a game and he makes 28% of them. 
that's way too much. And, and I, I just, I wonder if Mike Anderson tries to rein that in here as we go on a conference play, because it's just not fitting his strength. He's a career 28% three point shooter as a whole as well. It just, it, it doesn't feel like it makes any sense for, for that type of distribution. So I do believe the Johnnies are going to try and live in the lane and exploit it. We know Nova at times has struggled in man-to-man defense. We know that we've seen the switches get rough. We've seen them really get exploited underneath the basket. And I think what the Johnnies do is they have guys that have that slashing ability in a Curbelo or an Alexander. And of course the monster in Soriano to even try and run some pick and roll. So I believe you're going to see St. John's try and live in the paint here and try and exploit Villanova's lack of rebounding. And at times, or earlier in the season, at least, lack of man-to-man defense. You would think that if Nova's defense lets Jones shoot, that would be a win. I'm okay with that. It's the same thing they did against Michigan State with Hogard, remember? Now they got burned because Hogard drilled the threes, and there was always an opportunity that that happens. But, you know, sometimes you you roll the dice and Mm -hmm. you see which way it comes up. And the Hogard, I was completely comfortable with that. If David Jones wants to shoot eight threes in this game, be my guest. Yeah, I mean, they did that against the Oregon walk-ons, too. Obviously, a different story there. But that turned out in their favor. You almost, at this point, another huge part of their identity, of course, is fast tempo and Mm -hmm. pushing in transition. When Jones settles for those three-point shots, especially in transition, that's almost a waste of a possession in my mind. Yeah, Because they have so much talent down low. But then just to, to lean into this turnover talk and tempo talk they've had one of the highest tempos in the country for years now they average almost nine steals a game so they turn (laughs) teams over at an alarming rate that's crazy by the way on the same side of the coin they average nearly 14 turnovers a game so i truly think it is going to come down to to simplify it to the nth degree whoever takes the advantage in the scoring off turnover categories will win this game in my mind I like that. I'm interested to see what Villanova does because they had zero fast break points yeah. uh, against St. Joe's. It's something we know that they don't do very often. You mentioned the nine steals per game from St. John's just for a reference point, Villanova averaged about five. So you can see that the Johnny's basically double Villanova in that case. This really is, it's why this game is always so interesting every year. The styles are so ridiculously contrasting Such foils. Yeah. yeah with, with St. John's being usually top three, top five in the country in tempo and Villanova being bottom 20 to to probably be a little generous there they can be lower than that as well for Nova in this game I think they're going to try and bleed them and and play this as slow as humanly possible if they can get St. John's to turn it over I think they're comfortable with that I'm not sure you're going to see them push tempo that much because with this being a talented St. John's team I don't know if you want to fight fire with fire in this one and try and get into a running match. So there are times, and you've heard me say it this season, where I say, oh, I want to see Villanova run in transition, try and find some some opportunities to to get some easy buckets here. I think I'd rather play this one out in that slow, methodical way that Villanova does to try and throw St. John's off, make them uncomfortable, and shorten the game because – That's what the Johnnies don't want. They want to have 80 shot attempts. They want to go up and down. They want to force the turnovers. They don't care if David Jones maybe shoots eight threes because 
they're going to get so many other possessions out of it anyway, since their possession lasted four seconds. Um, It's what they do here. So I'm very curious. This is the first time we're going to really see Neptune go up against a team that is completely diametrically opposed to what Nova does. And I want to see what the game plan looks like in that situation. Yeah, I agree with how you think they're going to go about it. It's funny to me, or it surprised myself even when I agreed with you, because this team is more athletic than a lot of past Villanova teams have been. So you might have thought on paper, oh, this is the year where Villanova can go head-to-head with St. John's and try and get the advantage in the points-off turnovers category. But, (laughs) huge but, I just don't think Villanova can match St. John's from an offensive perspective. They just don't have enough guys that can create shots. And and St. John's defensive pressure is so much better than anything Villanova has seen in the past few games. And the thing about the defensive pressure that St. John's brings, it forces you to make mistakes. And we've seen all those steals numbers, the, the way they're able to push in transition because they force mistakes. But it also makes it harder for opposing offenses to create shots and create offense. And that's already something Villanova struggles with. So that's what St. John's is going to try and capitalize on in a one way that Nova can try and combat that is played to their own pace. And I just wonder if the leaders, the Dixons, the Slaters, and the Daniels, and the Arches, I do think this will be a old head game, like we said at the beginning, if they can prevail and really not let St. John's high tempo, high pressure flail them at all. So that, that's so interesting on what you said there. I do think Villanova can outmatch St. John's on offense just based off of efficiency, shot selection, and playing their game. I do not think Villanova can match them in terms of trying to run and gun. So I, mm. I think that's kind of where we'll, we'll go two different ways there. But I am really intrigued here. I, I, it's so simple to say this, but the key for Nova really is to not turn the ball over because the Johnnies, this is a team that really does build themselves off of defense and then being able to run out of it because in the half court, that's where things can get a little weaker for St. John's. So they've added some talent. As we said, Corbello most certainly is a guy that can be a playmaker and, and get to the hoop and score. He also has a tendency to turn the ball over. Uh, you know, a a decent amount. And he's not the best defender you're going to see out there on the floor for them as well. So I do think Villanova has some opportunities um, to exploit them as good as they are. And we haven't focused on them enough yet, but I know we mentioned it. Joel Soriano over 15 points a game and 13 rebounds a game, an absolute monster. He leads the big East conference in rebounds by By almost, yeah, by almost three per game over Shireman. So He's a beast. I can't wait to see Eric Dixon go up against him. Oh, yeah. That's a huge matchup. And again, we have we have very, very uh, significantly changed the way we think about Dixon in these matchups. We're not anymore wondering how he's going to fare up. It has just become a must-watch matchup. That's also what it's going to come down to. And it's something we've talked about. Villanova's rebounding issues in the past, they have to be able to shore those up. And I think one way that they will try and combat that is not letting Dixon take as many shots from deep. I think they will pull Dixon down low just because otherwise Soriano will absolutely dominate the paint uh, in terms of rebounds. They have to be able to create second chances for themselves by getting some of those offensive rebounds, and they can't do that unless Dixon's down low. Yeah, I, I think so. And and a part of that, too, is St. John's rebounding strength as a whole. Uh, they're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country. They pull down about 
37% of them. Um, you know, they, they average over 40 rebounds a game as well, which is, I believe it's a 12 rebound gap uh, between Villanova. A part of that is just quite simply Joel Soriano and, and mm-hmm. him being a beast. But another part of that is, it's just simple math. When you put up as many shots as St. John's have, you're going to have more opportunities to take down rebounds. So I downplay that a little bit in the rebounding margin. However, Soriano is going to be the best rebounder on the floor. So it's going to be really important for Eric Dixon to try and win that physical battle. Even if that doesn't mean that Dixon comes away with the rebound, just trying to seal him off and allow for some of Villanova's teammates to come in and crash the glass, I think will be really key here. Yeah, and that brings into something I wanted to talk about, which is foul trouble mm-hmm. in general. It has we saw we you saw um Caleb struggle with it against St. Joe's, but we've had a decent stretch where Dixon has been okay without foul trouble. If he goes into foul trouble early, I don't know how the Cavs rebound. I'm I'm that nervous about it. And it scares me specifically because that's something St. John's is also going to try to exploit. If they get ticky tacky fouls against Slater or Dixon. Not an Njoku can't keep up in this St. John's game plan. Trey Patterson definitely can't keep up in this St. John's game plan. So the leaders on this team, this, the Daniels, Dixon, Slater, have to keep the ticky-tacky fouls to a minimum. And it's going to be, again, asserting themselves in the tempo. Another thing with the tempo, too, is depth has always felt like an issue for Villanova against St. John's in the past because St. John's tires them out because they play so fast. This year, that doesn't feel like as much of an issue because you have reliable guys coming off the bench who can perform offensively and defensively. But if guys start accruing fouls early, all of that goes to the wind. So that is something I am frankly terrified about early in this game. Yeah, I'm not too nervous on the physical side for Villanova, but to your point about fouls, I do think that that's a point to look out for here. And for Eric Dixon, it's why I would like to see him underneath the basket more because when he gets into trouble on defense, it is when he wanders out around the three-point line. And it's not wander, that's not fair because he's following his matchup, but that's where you'll see him reach in and pick up some of these fouls that then force force him to go to the bench. I do not want to see that, plain and simple. Um, on Wednesday, I, I he needs to be protected and, and not getting into foul trouble. If he does as well, I know you bring up Patterson. I know you bring up Njoku. I think that strategy goes out the window and it's small ball for the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if they have to and, and try and, and spread St. John's out in that way, um, because I, I just, you're not going to match up with them uh, underneath the basket if they lose Dixon there. So it, it's going to be a, a really key point is that he he cannot afford to get into foul trouble because he can be so key on both sides of the ball here. Yeah. And then we feel like we've mentioned every player. So I'll just put the bow on Arch as well. He also has to play a really, really clean game against St. Joe's, uh, St. John's, excuse me, like he did against St. Joe's because he seems to anchor down the offense from a, turnover less perspective and I feel like we've asked this question a few times about games and I personally feel like it's a really good way to to sum up what we're looking for so I'll ask you first are you looking for more from the offense or defense against St. John's on Wednesday I am looking more for the defense here and it's because of some of the different talent um, that that we do see 
from the Johnnies. I want to see how they deal with, with really a, a two-point approach because they fared pretty decently against the last team that really tried that, and that was Oklahoma. And while Oklahoma did stretch the floor and shoot more threes than normal for them, their bread and butter's underneath the basket. And you know what? I was pretty impressed with the way they were able to seal off those opportunities and play pretty strong on the interior. I, I want to see that again because for Villanova, I'm starting to see things progress on offense. We, you know, we talked about it earlier. They found a way to win and score points when two of their main scorers really didn't have a good game on Saturday. Now I need to see things flip and start to see that defense really climb because for this team to be able to, to make some noise and, and cause trouble and, and really get to a place where I think a lot of Villanovans wanted them to get the defense continues to have to improve because it's still not in a place where I think anyone really feels comfortable. Totally. And while I agree with all of your points, I actually am going to go offense mm. because I want to see how this team matches up against a tempo like St. John's. A, fa- a fast start, a good start is again, crucial. We've seen them win games where they haven't started off. Again, RE, a three-point deficit to St. Joe's at half. But the the key for me is a start like that isn't going to hold up against a team like St. John's. They've been bailed out by lesser opponents despite starting off slow. This is the first game in a while where if they get themselves into a hole, I guarantee it will be incredibly harder to dig themselves out of it than it was against St. Joe's. So I want to see them start strong. I want to see them distribute the ball. I want to see the bench come off swinging, hopefully a better offensive game for Longino. And I just want to see everybody clicking, assisting, and trying to be dual threat, like like St. John's is probably going to be down low, and you you hope for a really strong three point performance as well. Uh, a bit of a dress rehearsal against St. Joe's too, because they did bring a lot of pressure um, yeah. against Villanova on Saturday. Heck, they even forced two ten second violations. So Nova now is they're they're not coming from a team that really sits back. They they just played a team that attacked them, and they're going to play another one that's going to attack them. So interested to see the type of rhythm they're able to get in, and then. On the flip side here for St. John's, a lot of it that's talked about has been the 11 and one start and all that. And of course, that's really important. But don't get me wrong, they need this. And, and why oh, yeah. they need this is because you mentioned it quickly earlier. Their strength of schedule is 339th in the country. So while it's great they're 11 and one, I've been impressed with St. John's. I picked them to go to the NCAA tournament at the start of the season. I mean, they've most of their wins are against the Merrimax, Lafayette, Central Connecticut's. Niagara, I'm sorry, dad, um, LIU, New Hampshire's and a terrible Florida state team. So it, it's not that they've been racking up great wins. Their best wins so far is Nebraska, which is not a bad one by any means. Cause we know they cause trouble for Creighton and Syracuse who I can't stand, um, but they were able to win that game. So they haven't really put together those big wins yet, even though they've won 11 games here. So for, for St. John's to really est- establish that credibility, you know, this is an important chance for them to go out there on the road and try and take that. So I, I know, of course, a lot of the focus is on Villanova. How do they keep this thing going and, and start things off the right way? But even though St. John's has that 11 and one record, this game is really, really important for them. Oh yeah. It's a resume win. It's a put them on the map win. And for Nova, it's, all right, they've gotten over the 500 hump. Now you got to start big, big East playoff with a bang. Mm-hmm. So both teams, you can't say that they won't be in this one. They won't be hustling in this one because both teams, I really do think both team needs this win. It's a really tough loss for both sides. It's Villanova St. John. It's going to be awesome. Always yeah. as always one of the big ones that I get up for um, is certainly this one. And I cannot wait for Wednesday. You got anything else before we do predictions here? 
I think that rides it out for me. Uh, the only last point that I bring up, I mentioned the defense before. I finished with it as well. Things have changed pretty drastically for Villanova over this winning streak since Cam Whitmore came back. And with these four straight games, they have allowed 61 points per game. The fewest St. John's has scored at all in any game this year is 60 points. So the Johnnies, they have that high octane offense. They can score, but Villanova's defense has been better of late. It has been improving. And as I said, that's what I need to see continue to improve here, especially against a team that can hurt you in a, in a couple of different ways for Nova to try and get a win. Oh yeah. It'll be huge. It, it's just a, a radically different team than Villanova has seen all season long. It really very, does feel like very that. different. So all that being said, home game for Nova. They always have a really hard time at on the road against St. John's. That's always a really tough game. I'm really fun. I really, really hope I'm wrong, but I do think St. John's will come away with this one. Interesting. I feel pretty good that Villanova's gonna win this game. All right, good. Yeah, wow, we flipped. We'll I was just going to say, that actually is probably a good omen that you feel positive. Because <laughs> you're, you're usually the problem that way. <laughs> <laughs> I usually do lean the other way, but I, I just, I Saturday was ugly. It, mm-hmm. it was, but they also showed me some things, that some different things, which is nice for this Villanova team, because it feels like we, we've you know been repeating a lot of the, diff- the same yep. <laughs> storylines. So to see some progression, to see some things change, that, that at least leads me in the right direction with it being a home game. And again, with St. John's, as good as they've looked, you just the level of competition most certainly factors into it. I think Nova can come away with the win, and I think they will come away with the win. It's definitely going to be gritty. I can't wait. Definitely going to be gritty. Can't wait either. Wednesday at 6.30. Do you have a channel for that? Is it CBS again? I believe it's FS1. All right, good. Um, I will be there. Yeah, Pat uh, will be there. Tommy will be there. A lot of good Nova hoops, people. I'll be fun. It's going to be fun. I can't wait to get back in that building. Yeah. All right, we have one last thing to do. We never do questions on Tuesday, but we are unfortunately we out of sync with Jerry because he always seems to write us questions after we finish recording. So we have decided to circle back to Tommy's questions from Thursday's episode. And this is also a reminder that we will be recording immediately after the game on Wednesday night. So make sure to get your questions in during or right after that game so we can get to them for Thursday's episode. Certainly. I'll send the the tweet out a little earlier on Wednesday, but then make sure to send us the, those tweets uh, right after the game and, and we'll hit it after that. But as Emma said, we, we have to hit our man, Jerry Quinn, because we keep missing him for these questions. So first question coming in from Jerry, cringe or crazy to see Jay Wright interview Kyle Neptune for that pen game? I thought it was cringe because I just can't get it out of my head how much it would suck to be Neptune. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, obviously, opportunity of your lifetime, blah, 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 I get it. But to have Jay Wright there in the wings all the time, and it does seem like Jay Wright is pretty hands-off, and he's pretty happy to be in that position. So it was a little bit cringy. It's more cringy, though, when sideline reporters who aren't Jay Wright ask Neptune about Jay Wright. Like, I think it was Evan Rosh, or maybe, no, maybe it was John Ross. It was probably Rossi. I love yeah. Rossi to death, but some of the questions can be a little rough. He asked a pretty painful one. My mom even texted me about it after the Oklahoma game. I think it was the first big win of the season, and, and Rothstein was asking about Jay Wright. So that's pretty cringy. I did, like I said, though, I've mentioned this before, I did not think the Jay Wright broadcast was as cringy as I thought it was going to be. So I'm, I'm hoping for more of those. 
Yeah, I I also thought it was a little cringy. Um, I, I would go there. I, I I get it. We talked about it. You know, it it makes sense. You put Jay Wright on Villanova. It's it's a situation he's comfortable in. But when it comes to an interview, I'd imagine it's pretty uncomfortable for both of those guys mm-hmm. to be able to do it because Jay is still getting used to doing it, and Kyle Neptune's getting interviewed by his predecessor that we right. all know all all the accolades, and we also know they're not going to really share anything. <laughs> and they, they just coached these guys. Yeah, it's way too close. Yeah, exactly. So I, I didn't get to see too much of it because I was out uh, at, at a family party on Saturday, but I know Jay was in studio for CBS, for the CBS Classic. I did get to see like the pregame stuff um, okay. before before the first game. I thought he did a good job, and I think he'll really grow into that analyst role, and I'm most interested to see Jay when he gets put on games that are not Villanova. Um, I, I believe he might actually be on Louisville, Kentucky um, coming up, which would be a pretty cool opportunity for him, but I might be wrong there. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. I think that's when he's really going to gonna shine and be fully loose and not have to keep anything too close. Yeah. If you're looking for more Jay too, he did an interview with Matt Norlander um, uh, oh, for cool. the uh, Eyes on College Basketball podcast. Really, really good interview and some more like broadcasting insight from Jay. So cool. Cool to hear things kind of flip there. Nice. Good plug. Yeah, of course. I, I love Norlander and, and Power. So yeah, uh, that, that podcast is really good. Certainly. So question two, why are we the Super Bowl game for St. Joe's every year? <laughs> you take this one. <laughs> no, I, I love it. It's it's Villanova. We, we've talked about it many times. Villanova has the target on their back, you know, for for being one of the premier programs in college basketball over the last decade plus um, here for Villanova. Of course, Jay Wright being so instrumental in creating that foundation and, and St. Joe's to your point has only won one of those games over the last, you know, decade basically there. So it's, it's really important for, for St. Joe's to try to come out swinging here against the cats. They did to their credit uh, on Saturday, but uh, again, Villanova found a way to win, which is really important because I do not want to lose a Holy war. No, 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 way. no. The Hawk must remain dead at all costs <laughs> at all costs. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And final question, will Chris Beard ever coach again in Austin? Yeah, so I think this is a question a lot of people are asking, especially after Texas's really good start, mm-hmm. which which is completely marred by this Chris Beard news. For anybody who, who hasn't heard, he was arrested and charged with domestic assault. Uh, he has been suspended indefinitely, I believe, is, is where it currently sits. I can't imagine... He ever returns to Texas, and honestly, in the current landscape we've, we're in with sports and domestic abuse charges, I wouldn't be surprised if he never coaches college basketball again. Yeah, it's I, I'm interested to see how this thing evolves as more things come out because there's such limited information here. But as we currently have it, it seems like a tough road back um, to mm-hmm. to see him him coaching there and the backlash that that he would get. So I would most likely lean no as well based off of what we've seen thus far, though. I, I don't rule out the, the chance that he does end up back here after some sort of lengthy suspension at Texas. Yes. Yeah. I, I hope not to be honest. I, I, I get it. I do, but who knows? We we've definitely been surprised by this type of news before. So I am sure it will be, the end of this season for sure like i would be surprised if he comes back this year but... oh i would be shocked if there's yeah. anything yeah yeah I, if it gets resolved and i say resolved in quotation marks because i don't know if that really happens in a situation like this i, I don't see it happening until the off season. I, I do believe he's most certainly out for the rest of this season so yeah. it's a dark cloud uh really kind of 
over the this season for Texas and a lot of college basketball as well. And uh, I, I know we're all going to be following it. Yeah, I mean, for a team that I think got to as high as number two in the country, is that right? Beat the doors off of Gonzaga too. Right. So, no, it's unfortunate. It's really, really unfortunate. And hopefully Texas can kind of carve its own path away from, from Beard and all the news that follows him throughout this season. Absolutely. So all that being said, we are extremely excited for Wednesday night. I hope everybody listened to the episode on Thursday with Tommy Godin, where we recapped the non-conference schedule, where we previewed Villanova's case in Big East play. And then of course, listen to Road to the Garden too, if you want an overview of all Big East happenings. I don't know how any of those guys keep up with all the action <laughs> around the conference, but it's extremely impressive. And yeah, make sure to subscribe so you catch our episode on Thursday. We're super excited to bring our instant game reactions to you. We'll be doing a lot of those episodes this year, Pat, just the way the scheduling worked out. We'll be doing a lot of instant game recaps. Yeah, pretty pumped. And to your point, there's so much good content out there right now. You've got Road to the Garden. You've got the guys at the full 40. You've got the Attitude Show. So there's so much Nova hoops and Big East hoops out there. There is plenty to uh, to really whet that appetite. But that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast. Uh, we are presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Um, check out viewhoops.com as well for all the content all season long. It'll especially get you ready for St. John's on Wednesday. We will be back at it on Thursday. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap.